Happy Mother's Day. It's great to be with you this morning, and I am so thankful for the opportunity. I hope that this day has been and started out to be a fantastic time for you. And I know that there are moments and times and places where these kind of events and these kind of celebrations can trigger some challenges, some hurts, and some sorrows. And so today I hope that uh, you, we can, we can lighten that load of some of those sorrows and, and hopefully give you the hope and the truth and the incredible blessing of what God has done. We're thankful you're here. And gentlemen, thank you for coming. I hope you've done a fantastic job of remembering your mother. Um, as being the uh, mom to an older son, it always is really important when those older sons remember their mamas. Okay, guys, did you hear me? Just make sure that you go ahead and give your mama a call because she really, she really loves to hear from you. She will never grow tired of hearing your voice on the other end of the phone. I promise. She will always love, it, love hearing from you. It's great to be here to, today, and we're going to continue on with talking about your words. But today, it's not so much about our words as much as we're going to talk about heaven's words and the higher words that he has to bring to us. And the results of what those higher words, when they are planted within us, what they do and how they spring up to life and how they change who we are. Um, I want to first start by telling you the story of a little girl who was raised in a home she was loved and adored by her family. Her mom and her dad just absolutely adored her. And every time she walked into the marketplace, every time, she was one of those beautiful little girls that people just noticed her. You know, she just, she would look at you and she would smile and her eyes would dance and they were big and they were brown and black. She had this long, beautiful hair. And she was known around her community as this gorgeous little girl. She was she was amazing. She was stunning. Absolutely stunning. The kind that takes your breath away when you look at her. From the very, very time that she was itty-bitty, she would walk into some place and she would just light this place up because she just showed up. She was that beautiful. She was also a part of a, a community and a country. She was known as as a refugee. She was an alien in this land. The, the, the land that she lived in was one in which the kingdom there had taken uh, precedence and possession of her people, and she now lived in a land that was not her own, but she was loved and cared for. And there was a dad and there was a mom, and, and that dad would deliver identity into her life, and, and mom would come along and she would nurture her up. But as things happen, whenever you find yourself in a place of, of hostility, in a country of hostility, her mom and dad were killed, and she found herself to be an orphan. And in that place of being an orphan, you never know what to expect or what will come. As an orphan, you never know who will be there to take care of you. You never know if there will be someone to come alongside. You know, in this country, we understand it as... as um, a system of government that they will, they will come along and they will put a child in a safe place. But in this situation and in this time and in this place, that wasn't necessarily a safe option. But as God would have it, he took her and put her in a home, the home of her cousin who was the nearest relative. And we're told that this, this cousin was a God-fearer, that he loved God. And so he carried on the truth of what mom and dad had begun in her life. 
He carried on speaking into her life who she was, where she came from, and where she was going. And God continued to use this cousin in her life. Matter of fact, we're told that this cousin received this daughter as his own. That she would not have to be without, but she would continue to have this, this place of safety. Well, as I said, she lived in a country that was not her own. And the king of that country got tired of his, of his queen. The queen had risen up and basically told him one, no one too many times. And as a result of saying no to the king, he, he took her, th- her throne away from her and she was no longer queen. But that didn't mean that this king didn't want his next wife. He wanted a woman that would be beautiful and gorgeous. He wanted a woman that would look good beside him. A woman who would look good with a crown on her head. A woman who would bring a lot of attention to him. And so, he began this process. He would go out to all the countryside and ask and and seek all of the young virgins and bring them into his harem. And they would spend months, I am saying months, 12 months getting these girls ready to come before the king to see if they were good enough to be received by him as, as his wife. Well, Esther was one of those girls. Remember, she was marked. She was, she was one of those girls that when, when she walked someplace, heads turned. She was that gorgeous. And she walked into this place, and, and she was taken by the king. And, and he, was, he received her, and he wanted her. And they took that 12-month period to get her ready and prepared, getting her, her all softened up, and, and they taught her how to put on her makeup, and they did everything. And the day came, she would watch girls. She would watch them walk out and into the presence of the king and come back because they were never received or accepted. They were rejected. But no, when this young girl, she walked into the presence of the king, he said, you will be my wife. And he put a crown on her head. Now, you might think that might have been amazing. Here's this orphan, this child, this virgin, who now has become a queen in a country that is not her own. But what we didn't know and what what she didn't realize is that God had a continuing purpose for her. And that continuing purpose was to save her people from this country. You see, she found out through the reality that this cousin would come and, and, and try and make sure that she was okay. And he told her, your people are going to be killed. And the only one, the only one who can save our people is you. You are the queen. You have an entrance to the king's throne room. You are the one who has his attention. You are the only one. And so she took on that mantle, probably facing fears and doubts and and everything else that could be in front of her. She took on the mantle and she said these words, if I perish, I perish. This woman, we know her as Queen Esther, and she saved an entire people. She went from orphan to queen 
to the woman who would save her people, who stood in this place of power and prestige and honor. She went from rejected and abandoned to in the presence of God, knowing who she was, where she came from, and where she was going. She knew her identity. She knew her role. And I sometimes wonder today how many of us know our identity, know where we came from, know where we're headed. Today, I believe that God has an incredible message to give to each one of us. I believe He wants to speak. I believe he wants your attention. I believe he wants to tell you things that maybe you've never heard before. I believe that he wants to redefine who you have believed yourself to be so that you can become the fullness of all that he has purposed and destined for you. You see, God the Father gives us our identity. I think we've turned it around a little bit these days. Somehow along the way, I think we have come to believe we have to figure out our own identity. But honestly, the truth of the matter is our identity, even physically, our identity comes from the Father. Our identity shows up as a result of the Father's will. And He is the one who gives us our identity. And our identity is established by hearing His voice. When we hear the voice of God, we hear truth. He defines our identity. He, he tells us that He is the one who has created life and what it is to be and what it is to look like. He identifies us with the kingdom of God and it is based on who He says we are. You know, I think sometimes we look at, at ourselves and we think, well, I'm here as a result of two people, my mom and dad, who got together and had a relationship. But I am here to tell you that is not, well, maybe technically, yes, that's how you got here. But that is not how you came to be. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, we see these words. Before I, and the I is a big I, meaning God himself speaking these words. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You see, God knew you before you were known. He had your name, he had your identity, he had the time, he had the place, he had it all planned out. He has every day spoken for in your life. Every day. And he knows where he wants to take you, he knows where he's going to take you from, and who you're going to become. And you are here as a result of a whisper off of the mouth of God, a heavenly word coming out of his mouth, and he spoke your name, and you showed up. You became. 
You became, and you grew in your mother's womb, and you became living and, and, and formed. He formed you. He set you apart. He is not seeing you as, as one of an entire, um, all by yourself out there. He sees you as unique and planned and beautiful. In Genesis 1.26, it says, we see that God says, Let us make man in our image. And according to our likeness, you have been formed and created in such a way that is magnificent, beautiful, complex, beyond understanding. You are the only you there will ever be. No one will ever be able to take your identity. No one will ever be able to live your identity. No one will have your DNA. Only you. You are the one who've been, who's been created in that way. An example of God's speaking identity, which I think is really important for us to look at, is in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And that work is one that, that God is speaking directly to Jesus Christ, his son. And I love the fact that we see how incredibly important it was for even Jesus as a human being to receive an identity from his father, to receive a word. He needed to hear these words that were spoken in his life and over him at a very pivotal, pivotal time, right when he was beginning ministry. Let's read this scripture together. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And then it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee, at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, Jesus, saying these words, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all the righteousness. And then he, John the Baptist, he permitted Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God, and he was descending on him as a dove, and he was lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said these words. Would you read this with me? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ, Son of God, who knew who he was even at the age of 12, showing up in the temple, telling his earthly parents, didn't you know I'd have to be about my father's business? He goes to the Jordan and he goes, baptize me. And in the midst of his obedience of being baptized, the father reaches down and speaks the truth that this is my beloved son. Now believe you me, when you hear a word from God, no one and nothing can steal it. That is a word so specifically formed and uttered out of the mouth of God into your soul that can only be yours. And he has that. Now, I've heard people say, well, I don't hear God. And I understand that. I get that. I sometimes, God seems a little silent at times, huh? But here's the truth. You have a heavenly father who wants to speak. And he wants you to hear him. 
And he has a purpose and a plan. And he has an identity to speak into your heart and soul that nothing and no one can ever take away. That's who he is. He longs to give you that identity. I have struggled over the past years with my own identity issues. I have struggled with believing what people have said about me. Um, I've believed some of the lies they've said about me. I find it hard to believe it when they say truthful things about me. So I'm kind of relatively mess at times when it came to my identity. But over the past few years, God has begun to deliver me from the, from the issues and the, and the lies of the enemy and the schemes to receive what God has said. And he now calls me his beloved daughter. And I am receiving that victory day by day, moment by moment. And in the midst of struggles, I go back to this truth of foundation of who I am. You see, some of my identity has been things such as I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. Those are pieces and parts of my identity. But the reality of the fullness of my identity, a foundation, one that will never, ever change. You see, because all of those pieces and parts of my identity can be changed in a moment. In a moment. It can happen with the, with the blink of an eye. All of a sudden, what I understood to be truth of my identity can be changed. And, 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 but the very foundation of my identity can never be stolen. And that is this. I am the beloved daughter of God Almighty himself. He formed me. He knows me. He loves me. He cherishes me. And I am his. And he is mine. And that nothing or no one can steal, kill, or destroy. It's our truth. Amen. Amen. So from that point forward, since the Lord has been working with me, I have been intentional about agreeing with this truth agreeing with what God says to be true about me. Now, we also need to recognize that there is an attack on our identity. There is one who wants to steal and destroy that identity. There are two ways in which the enemy attacks our identity. He does it through doubt and suspicion. And he does it through doing it through to, to two different groups. Two different people. But before we talk about that, I want to just explain a little bit about what doubt is. We kind of, I believe, I believe we have become suspicious as people, and I think we doubt in such ways that we don't understand the fullness of what doubt can do to us. Doubt is having no confidence in someone or something. If I can go and make a statement about someone in such a way as to just drop a shred of doubt into your lap, then we have to determine whether we entertain it or we cast it aside. And in, in so doing, we know that the enemy himself seeks to cast doubt on two different beings. 
One, he wants us doubting God. He wants you to doubt God. In Genesis 3, 1, we see what he did. And this was when he was with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And all of a sudden, doubt showed up and a lack of confidence came upon Eve. And she began to doubt this God who had created her. She began to doubt this God who put her in the garden. She began to doubt the very goodness of God because the enemy came along to show you and to show her that God really can't be trusted. You really shouldn't put your confidence in him. So, he begins by starting this whole reality of making us doubt God. And then, if that's not enough, if that doesn't get you down the road, he'll begin by telling you and making you doubt yourself. The other way that the enemy attacks is doubting yourself. And in that time, we see Jesus, I want to go on to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We see that Jesus in chapter 3 just rises up in the fullness of his identity. He receives the word that he is the beloved son of God in whom he is well pleased. And then we see Jesus going to the, to the uh, wilderness. And let's read what that has to say. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, would you read this with me? If you are the Son of God. Amen. If, if you're the Son of God. And again, doubt shows up in doubting ourselves. In doubting what what we know to be true, what God had said. And he didn't even use the word beloved. Did you notice that? The enemy, the enemy used, if you're the son of God, when in just a few days prior, God had said, you are the beloved son of God. You are the beloved. You're not just a son. You are the beloved son. And what the enemy does to try and steal and destroy and grab hold of our identity by stripping us of the truth. And he causes doubt. And it says, but he commanded, um, but he, uh, Jesus, answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that comes out of the mouth and speaks into our identity. That is what we are to live on. That is the truth. That's the foundation. That's the core of who we become. That is the reality. That is more reality than what you can touch and feel in this world. That is a reality. Even though you may not have eyes to see, you may not have ears to hear, that doesn't change the truth of the reality that the kingdom of God is at work here and and now. 
And we must, we must understand that God has a word that proceeds from his mouth that goes straight to our soul and creates us for who we are. Now, if it wasn't bad enough to do it just once, he does it again. The enemy does it again. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had Jesus stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, there it goes again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone if, if you're the son of man. If you're the son of God. The enemy was attacking, attacking the core of his identity. If, not if you're the beloved son of God, if. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you the number of times I've heard the enemy speak these kind of words over me. And it takes everything at times in the moments and in those places to overcome the, the doubts and the lies that he has spoken. And finally, Jesus answers him, and he says, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if, if, you fall down, and if you worship me. And finally, Jesus had just had enough. He had had enough. And he said to, Jesus said to Satan, go, go, take your lies, take your filth, take the ways that you're trying to steal my life, and go. Get out of here, don't come back, go. And in the authority and the power of who Jesus is, the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, authority given to him by God himself, he tells the enemy of his soul to be gone and go. My question to you, is the enemy consistently telling you who you are and who you're not? Is he telling you often that you're not good enough? Is he telling you, well, you're not like your brother. You're certainly not like your sister. You're not that upper management type of person. You'll never be that star. You'll never amount to what, what you have always wanted to be. And at times we have to look the enemy in the eye and say, enough. Enough. Get out of here. Go back to where you came from, Satan. In the power and the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, get out of here. I've heard enough. And we stand on the truth of who we are in him. Even though I had received my identity, I still struggled at times. And I still have hard times when, and I don't know about you, but I still have moments when I unfortunately have entertained the things than, the, than the, what the enemy has said. Because, you know, what he does seems so real. It seems so, so real and so true. Because he goes and he attaches himself to some event or trauma or traumatic place or words that somebody else has said. And he attaches to that and he then just begins to pick 
and destroy and take our character and our truth from us. The other day I was sitting with a friend and she was sitting with me and asking me questions. She said, so Kathy, who are you? Tell me, what are you good at? And I found myself unable to say a word. I found myself unable to even speak. And this wasn't that long ago. I couldn't tell. You know, because in, my, in, in, in that moment, the enemy was saying, you know, if you go and tell, that's a pretty prideful thing to say. And I just couldn't, I couldn't even say a word. And that day spiraled out of control in what the enemy was trying to do. But Dennis, being the kind and good husband watching over me, he began to say to these words, Kathy, we are under attack. Kathy, we are under attack. We have to pray. And he did. And he gathered me in his arms and he prayed over me. And he prayed that the enemy would be silenced and his doubts and schemes would be gone. And in that moment, God took me to a place as a little girl. You see, my parents weren't bad people. They were good people. But they were imperfect people. And they didn't have the fullness of capability. My dad was a runaway youth, which I hadn't really put two and two together until just a few years ago. He was raised by an alcoholic father. My mom, she has her own stories of what happened in her household. And these two very imperfect people came together to try to create a semi-normal family. But in all actuality, we were only normal to those who looked on the outside. And nobody ever knew what was going on on the inside of the house. And in that time, in that place, as a little girl, a little girl that really kind of at times felt like an orphan, with parents who, yeah, in the most part loved her, but didn't know how to respond to her and didn't know how to walk with her. She would go to this place at the age of four and five, which I would never let my kids do, by the way. But she would go down in this place on the farm and, and in this location, and there, there was this rock. And she would climb up on this rock, and there was these two little creeks that came together right in front of this rock. And she would stand in that rock, and she was about four or five years old. And she'd sing, and she'd sing, and she'd sing, and she'd sing. And I pretended that there were hundreds of people in front of me. Hundreds! I could see their faces. And they would clap, and they loved hearing this little girl on this stage. And in that moment, on that day, when God took me back to that place, my heart broke. And my word to God was this. Where were you when that little four and five-year-old girl needed parents to support and love and care for her? Where were you? Are you hearing the lies and the doubts? But God in his blessed way, in his fatherly way, he showed up in that moment in this to this 54-year-old woman who felt like she was four again, and he showed up and he goes, I was your audience. You were singing to me. I was the hundred of faces that you sang before. I was the one clapping over you. I was the one that was thrilled to hear you sing. 
it was me. And then he took me into this place, into the living room of our home. And as a little girl at the, about the age of four, I started learning to play the piano. And I learned to do it up by myself. I had a sister that was older, and she, she taught me some things. But I began to learn how to play. And he took me to that piano in that living room. And he was standing. I could see God standing right there. While in the kitchen, Mom was shouting at, That's a B-flat, not a B-natural. If you don't know what that means, it's a, it's a key on the piano. But he would say, play it again. Keep playing. I love hearing you play. You see, the reality of truth, of what the enemy tries to steal in our identity, God is there in the midst and in the moment. Just like he was with Esther. In the moment that she loses her mother and her father, and her identity is ripped from her as she understands it. She experiences the trauma of moving in with a cousin that she doesn't know. He still guides and guards and nurtures this little girl. And then she's taken out of that home to be placed in the home and the palace of a king, to become a trophy wife and not loved for who she is, but loved for what she looks like. And then she begins to wear a crown. Now, I can't imagine living in this reality of being, having a crown on your head of a man who doesn't love you. I can't understand it. But God takes that little girl and that little orphan girl and he goes, I have an identity for you. I know where you've come from. I know where I'm taking you. And I know what you're going to do for my sake. You are going to save my people. And she overcame the identity that the world tried to bestow upon her and she received the identity that Jesus gave to her. Today, you are to reclaim. It is time to reclaim your identity if you have been listening to the enemy, today is the day to reclaim your identity. Today is the day. You may have never claimed your identity. Today is the day to receive it. Sometimes the greatest battlefield of claiming our identity is the one that happens in our mind. Jesus is here to give back what the enemy has tried to steal. We see Jesus in John 8, verses 12 through 19. And these are the words that he said. Knowing who he was and knowing his identity, he said these words. Then Jesus again spoke to them, to an entire crowd of people, some who loved him, some who didn't, some who wanted him off the scene, some who did not believe the truth that he was the beloved son of God. And Jesus spoke these words saying, I am the light of the world. Notice the identity that just pours out of Jesus as a result of knowing that he is the beloved son of God Almighty. It pours out of him that I am the light of the world, he says. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then the Pharisees show up. And they said to him, you are testifying about yourself, and your testimony is not true. In another version of the Bible, it says, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. 
Men were trying to steal the truth of who he was, the truth of his identity. And Jesus answered them in this way, and he said, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I, read this with me, I know where I came from and where I am going. That's right. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. You see, he knew the truth of where he came from. He knew who he was. I am the light of the world. I am the son of God. I am this this person. I am the sacrifice for this world. I know who I am. And I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And it's the very same theme we hear in Esther. I know who I am. If I die, I die. Because there is a calling on my life to go and save this people. I am the only one. Esther was the only one sitting in a place that could save an entire nation. Jesus was the only one sitting in a place, being in a place that could save an entire world. And you, you are the only one with your story, with your relationships, that is mother to children, that is a daughter, that is a wife, that is a friend, that is a co-worker. No one else has your time and place. This time, this place is ordained by God himself. No one can fill your shoes. No one. And he has entrusted you with this time, this place, and the roles that he has called you to fulfill. We must reclaim our identity. We must understand. We must be able to let it come out of our mouth. We need to hear ourselves saying, I am the beloved son. I am the beloved daughter. We need to say those words often. They need to come out of our mouth. And we need to speak them to one another. You are the beloved son. You are the beloved daughter. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. We need one another to come and listen to ourselves. And listen, that's a lie. That is not the truth. I need that. You need that. We need one another. You know, today there is a great exchange that God wants to give. You see, when you have gained your identity from God himself, you have received an identity ordained by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is a one and only identity that only he can give. If you have received your identity from this world, through power, possessions, pleasure. You have received and are living in an identity that has been created by the prince of this world. And you were created for more. 
You were created for more. God has an exchange. The only way we can overcome this is if we give him the lies that we have believed about him and about ourselves. And we decide that we're going to stop agreeing with those lies. We're going to stop speaking them. We're going to stop believing them. We're going to stop entertaining them. And instead, we're going to ask God to show us how He sees us and receive the truth and the beauty, oh, the peace and the joy, the foundation that cannot rock us, that no matter what we face, we are safe and secure because our identity is in Him. He wants to take the lies you have believed and give you His truth. But He's not going to rip it out of your hands. He's going to ask you to give it. Give me your lies so that I can give you my truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? Esther, she exchanged her identity of orphan to queen and savior of a people. David, he exchanged his identity as merely a shepherd boy, the youngest of the brothers, and became a king. He exchanged the identity of an adulterer and a murderer and was known as friend of God. Ruth, she exchanged the identity of a widow and a foreigner and married a Jew named Boaz and became the great-grandmother to King David. Hannah, she exchanged the identity of being a barren woman to being the mother of a prophet. Mary, she exchanged the, the identity of being a virgin girl to take on the identity of being the mother of the Son of God. I doubt that any of them knew who they were along the way. But I have no doubt God spoke to them and showed them. Today, I believe every person in this room has an identity that the enemy in this world has created that God wants to take. And he wants to give you a new identity. So, right now, would you ask the Father, what lie do I believe about myself? God, would you show me what lie I have believed about others? 
God, would you show me what lie I have believed about you? And now, with that firmly planted in your mind, I want you to ask God to show you who he sees you to be right now. Ask him what he sees when he sees you. I'm going to ask that you would come forward. Those of you who've received a new identity, I'm going to ask that you come forward and pray with someone. I believe with all of my heart that that new identity needs to come out of your mouth and onto the ears of a person who will pray with you and ask that the Holy Spirit seal the truth and the vision of what you have seen, the words that he has spoken, the sense that you're getting, I ask that you do a brave and mighty thing and that you come forward and receive this truth, that you confess that you have believed a lie and that you agree with what God has said you to be. And who he's called you to be. Please. Don't walk out of this room without confessing this truth. Please do not walk out of here without confessing that you have heard God say. You are my beloved. You are my child. 